Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I am normally never, never nervous recording these podcasts, but today I am a combination of nervous and excited. Not only because I'm surrounded by my genuine personal role models at work, but also uh, because they're so busy being the amazing leaders that they are, I have literally one take to get this whole podcast recorded as they all need to rush off. So, this particular podcast is being recorded in recognition of International Women's Day. The theme this year is to hashtag break the bias. The aim is women's equality, you know, where there is no longer bias, stereotypes and discrimination. I wanted to take the opportunity to celebrate women's achievements. And believe me, there is a lot amongst these epic individuals. Explore what their experiences have been. I want to discuss the journey women in leadership and working mums has been over the past I don't know, 10, 15 years. And then finally, end giving you some top tips on how to be successful regardless of your gender. So that's quite a big intro. I like my intros, but this one's particularly large. Um, so I'm really pleased to welcome Claire Stockhausen, Chief Risk Officer at Unum, along with Liz Walker, Chief Operating Officer, and last but certainly not least, my manager, Paul Coffey, the Director of Claims, Rehabilitation and Medical Services. So if we can start with just brief introductions. So um, we'll start with you, Claire. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for that big introduction. So um, I'm Claire Stockhausen, Chief Risk Officer at Unum. Um, I have worked in the financial services industry now for too many years. Um, I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers straight out of university um, to train to be an accountant. And my career sort of went on from there. I was there 18 years and I worked in different offices, different countries um, and took some different roles. And then I finally decided to leave the professional services industry and joined Unum um, to join the finance department eight years ago. And I'm here now as CRO. Uh, I suppose I should talk about family, shouldn't I? I've actually got three <laughs> children. Don't forget about them. Uh, I've got a daughter who's 15 and two sons who are 13 and 10. Thank you, Claire. And yourself, Liz? Thanks, Beth. Uh, I'm Liz Walker. I'm Chief Operating Officer here at Unum UK. I have been at Unum actually for almost 26 years. I started, this was my first proper job. I started an entry-level role and have worked in the organization in various um, departments in lots of different roles and different countries. Um, and the one thing that has never changed is, is what I, how I passionately I feel about what we do and our company, um, you know, and, and the, the value we bring to society. So I'm excited to be a part of this today. I moved over here 10 years ago with my husband who is from here. Uh, and we have a daughter who's 14 years old. And, you know, another thing that makes me really passionate about women in the workplace and women in leadership is being a good role model to her. Go on then, Paula. Thanks, Beth. Um, so I'm a mum of two children. I have a daughter who's 11 and a son who's eight. I initially trained as a nurse, but only worked as a nurse for a couple of years and went back to university to study. Um, and when I did that, I actually moved into the world of insurance just because it was easier, less shift work to help me while I was studying for my degree. And I can honestly say I've never looked back. Um, I've taken on several challenging positions over the years and I have had good old imposter syndrome creep in from time to time however I've been extremely lucky to have had great teams amazing role models and mentors both male and female for support and not to mention my husband who's been one of my biggest supporters over the years the best part of my job by far is the people I work with every day that's because she works with me 
obviously. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Liz mentioned something about passion there, and I was really interested. Uh, I got Claire, Paula, and Liz on podcast because I think they're particularly inspirational in in leadership. Um, Claire, what's your main kind of passion when we're thinking about women in leadership? I think for me, a big factor was when I started out at, at PwC all those years ago, my intake um, was 50-50, male and female. Uh, you know, and PwC then, great employer, really good. And you think that's that's brilliant. But over the years, it, it was the it was the women alongside me that dropped out. You know, it was my female peers and colleagues that were the ones that were leaving. You know, so by the time I left, I was probably only one or two of my original sort of intake um, that were left at the at the firm. And I think sort of all the way through my career, that sort of bothered me as being, you know, why, why do they feel they have to drop out? Because, you know, the work was challenging. The hours could be long. It was something you had to sort of juggle. But um, I think that just has made me always want to look out for, for women that I'm working with to help mentor those that are coming up to try and see if we can sort of try and move some of those blockers for people and just sort of understand really what drove that because you know you look back and all that talent that ultimately PwC when I look at it at that point in time lost because they couldn't keep or they couldn't inspire women to stay. That resonates quite a lot with some of the stuff I've been talking about with um, colleagues and, and with Paula and I think there were some key moments that Paula was saying where ordinarily people might have dropped out of work the things that, they, that happened. Um, and that's a real shame, isn't it? That we're facing these challenges as working women and that you can ultimately people drop out because it's too much to juggle both sides of it. Is there any particular things, Paula, that make you passionate about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very lucky because Claire is actually my mentor and Liz is my line manager. So I've certainly looked out really. So um, hopefully that will continue. Hopefully now that we're in a podcast and I've announced that publicly, there is no get out for either of them. Um, so yeah, I feel really excited to be on the podcast today, really. Um, I, I can share some of my experiences later on, but I, I certainly think I haven't made things easy for myself over the years. And what I'd like to do is share my experiences so other women in the workplace maybe don't take the difficult route. And obviously, I feel very passionate about what Claire has just said as well, that there's times in my career that I thought about having to step down or look at an alternative road to be able to kind of manage my work and my home life appropriately. So I just I think there's such a high risk that women will leave after all that investment in their training and then personally but from an employer point of view all they've done to help promote and develop those people then to just lose that is such a shame so yeah just excited to be part of the podcast today Beth. Can I add Great. something to that can I add something yeah. to that Beth because I think it's also we both talked there about the employer's perspective of losing talent but I think also there's a piece there about women having to or choosing to step out of the workplace and you know, because of my age, I'm now seeing, you know, some of my friends who did that, they're now struggling to get back in. And in fact, mm -hmm. they almost feel they, they can't. They've lost the confidence. They've been out of the workplace too long. So it's, it, you know, the individual is losing something as well there because, you know, they're losing potentially that opportunity of just keeping something going that they can then ramp up or step back into more fully over time. So I think, you know, it's, it's both lose out, you know, the employer and the individual. That's such a true statement. I had a manager that said to me years ago, the, ch the child grows up. So the parent leaves, the mother leaves the workplace, for example, and then the child grows up and the purpose, the purpose for that person is gone. So it's, it's a real shame at that point, isn't it? You've, you've lost out. 
And Beth, I remember, I, yeah, sorry, I, I remember um, times where I was so, um, God, jealous is such an ugly word, but where I would be jealous of my friends who stayed home with kids and they were having coffee mornings and going on dog walks without me and thinking, well, I'm missing out on all these things and I, you know, I, I, I don't get to yeah. do that kind of stuff. And now I realize that that whole time they were looking at me saying, oh my God, she has this life on her own where she gets to go and be an adult every day and get into yeah. high heels. And and now, as Claire said, at, at my age, I'm seeing that exact thing happen with friends. And and I feel like the tables have kind of turned. I feel so fortunate that I have stayed, been able to stay in work and been able to continue to have something I find to do that's really fulfilling and it doesn't necessarily feel like work. And, and they are really stuck because they can't get into roles that they feel would be challenging for them and still work with their with their grown kids and lifestyle and things. So, you know, it has, it, tables have kind of turned in, in my life. It's been really interesting. 100%. Well, that's, that's actually the foundation for the for the whole session you guys are obviously really inspirational you're inspirational women in leadership not just for me for my colleagues it was other people um that I know that went oh you need to get those three on the podcast and talk talk about women so just goes to show um I was obviously incredibly eager to have you on for International Women's Day but it's because of your success and this passion um and what I wanted to know was actually Given your success and this passion um, and your insight that you've got, you know, from from working in different countries and working, you know, loads of different types of jobs. Do you think that being a woman has actually been a barrier for you at all? Or is gender bias and equality not even a thing? Like, does it even exist? I'll start with you, Liz, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, of course it exists. It absolutely exists. There are societal norms and things that have been going on for thousands of years that make it impossible for there not to be some kind of bias and, and gender stereotyping. Um, it, it's really difficult. It's funny, Paula talked about imposter syndrome. I've had imposter syndrome about even being a woman in work. You know, I remember when I was single and or married without children, I didn't even feel like I could fly the flag appropriately for women because I thought, I don't know the challenges that somebody who might be a single mother raising children on their own or you know other people, because you cannot say that women are all the same, just like we can't say that men are all the same. You know, this is really about individuals, isn't it? And so, you know, I think we've come a long way. I think even in my career in 26 years, there have been massive shifts and big changes. I feel like I've been really fortunate with with the people I've surrounded myself with and been able to work with over those years. But, you know, uh, uh, of course, it's a thing. When I think about it on balance, you know, I was in a male dominated part of a male dominated business in a male dominated industry. I, I went into sales in financial services and insurance when I was 22 years old and I was one of the only women. And all of my brokers were men, you know, and for every disadvantage I felt as a woman, I found one or two advantages, you know, so I, I really, I think you've got to kind of take it as there's three spheres. They're what you're, you're in the now, and that is the very core of what you're experiencing. And how do you get out of that? How do you not create, you know, how do you knock down barriers? How do you not let it hold you back? Because you can't wait six months, two years, 20 years for things to change and for other people to change things for you. You have to deal with your now. And I think that's building that resilience and that strength and 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 getting creating opportunities for yourself and finding people who care about you and support you. Then I think there's a wider sphere of what can then that translate to in the world of work. What can we do longer term and midterm to say there's we can do better than this. 
And then I think that the giant sphere is that societal norms, you know, the things that that are just so um, ingrained in us over years and years of expectations of different genders and different people, that's going to take a lot longer to change. So I think you can control more the now. You can really think and, and act quickly and decisively on what you can do to support yourself and others in the workplace. And then there's things that we all need to be doing, I think, longer term to make sure that there is equality. And that that's not just about women. I mean, that is just about, you know, it's not about gender. That's about just inclusive, diverse society where everybody's treated like an individual. Thank you. Who else? Has anyone else got an idea feeling for this bias and equality being a thing? Um, I think for, for me, I've never really had any barriers in my career. I think there's things I would have done differently had I had the confidence and it depending on whether I had a male or female boss, it was more about how comfortable I felt raising yeah. things. Um, one of the examples that I shared with you yesterday, um, Beth, was um, when I took on my first head position, actually, at, at a different company. I was seven months pregnant with my first child. I returned to work after nine months and I resigned at the end of my first week. I had a national role. I was late for pickup twice in that week. It was extremely emotional. I was a bad mom, a bad employee, um, emotional turmoil, which resulted in me resigning. Um, and I just basically felt like I was letting everyone down around me. Um, so I worked my three months notice. I had a handover meeting with our MD at the time um, just to basically say goodbye and the things I needed to let him know about my business area. And he said to me that he was surprised I was giving up my career and he didn't think that I was going to do that. And I explained that I wasn't giving up my career. I'd taken a job closer to home and I could be around more for my family. So he was furious. He stood up. He handed me a pen and paper and left me in his office to tell me write a list of what I needed to make sure that I could stay working for that company. It was actually Bupa at the time. Um, so I wrote a list and there was basically two things on it. It was around flexibility um, and that's all it was. So I decided to stay. My husband was delighted because with that job there was a lovely car. Um, but actually for me I was actually going to take a significant pay cut and go down two grades and I had worked extremely hard, made sacrifices, stayed away from home for long periods of time to get to that position. I'd worked so, so hard, but I was just willing to take that kind of pay cut, that demotion, just to make sure that I was able to deliver and I didn't feel like I was failing in, in different areas. So I think the learning for me, um, Beth, was more about I should have had more confidence. I should have been open and honest with my employer, regardless of whether I'd male or female line manager. And I could have saved them a lot of grief having to try and get somebody to replace me. I wouldn't have had the embarrassing situation of handing back all the gifts I'd been given in the last week and saying that I'm staying. But I think things have moved on. That was t almost 12 years ago. Um, but I, I would just say to people, don't just, you know, you're having a bad week. Don't necessarily resign. Look at what support is out there. It's really, really important. And, and ask for it, because I think that's the other thing is, you know, yeah. you, you said yours revolved around flexibility. For the most part, flexibility is free. But nobody knows what flexibility means to you until you articulate it. And I think sometimes we even think, I remember times where I think, I need to go down to four days a week. Okay, well, what problem does that solve? What's that going to do for me? Is that really the issue? Or do I need something different? You know, So really understanding yourself, what's going to make the difference and what you need. Because until you can articulate it and ask for it, no one else is going to read your mind. And they're not going to know how to remove that barrier for you. And everybody's barriers are different. 
Yeah, I think that's a key point. I think what everybody needs is very different. I mean, I when I was at, at PwC, I did a period where I worked four days a week, um, having come back from my first child and did it for quite a long time, did it for maybe nearly six years. Um, but it was interesting. One, it was great for me because it was at the time what I wanted, just that one extra day at home. But equally, it was a good learning curve for the company because they didn't have many people doing it at the time. I was one of the sort of the first that was doing it and they didn't find it natural. You know, the partners would look at me, oh, so you're the one that doesn't work on a Friday. And it's like, it's not like I won't get the work done. And actually, I would answer calls on a Friday and I constantly was. But um, it is good to, again, try and just sort of break those barriers and say, actually, we can show that we can make it work so that, you know, more more can do it. Um, and I mean, going back to your point earlier about those those gender um biases do they exist Liz I mean they certainly do exist I mean but they exist everywhere they exist at home last night I walked in and you know Mark said what's for dinner I'm like well I don't know I haven't been here have you look in the fridge <laughs> you know it's so you know we, we, there's constantly those, those those biases everywhere aren't they but you just have to work out what works for you it's 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 such a good point that bit about flexibility and the fact that we feel that it's all evolved we can all do what we need to do as a woman and I was even just saying this the other day Craig's never asked for any flexibility in his job. Is that because my job's really flexible? Is it because I'm the woman and I'm expected to have the flexibility? It's it's kind of just a really weird, like, undercurrent of, like, the men versus women. Do, do the men know what they need? To, the kids need to be doing in the half term? Have they booked the hobbies? Would they know where all of the standing orders were going to go and pay for all of these things? Like, the kids would be doing nothing if it was <laughs> half term. And it's just fascinating that despite all of this, it's going back to that societal norms and that kind of underpinning piece that you were saying is earlier it's um but, also, Beth, but I think Paris oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> passionate <laughs> I was, I was actually gonna say, gonna, oh, sorry <laughs> I was gonna stick up I was gonna stick up for men there and say actually there's probably biases for them there because actually yes. you might find there are a number of men who would like to ask for flexibility in what they do but actually don't feel that they can they feel that that would be looked on as they're playing the wrong role or inappropriate so you know it kind of it's it's it doesn't help any of us if we're not prepared to talk, talk openly about what we need and how we'd make it work. Claire, I was I, going I, to defend men as well, Claire. I was actually <laughs> going to say, I think I drive that behavior in my relationship at home because I'm I control everything. <laughs> so actually, it's not my husband's fault. It's because I know where everything is because I've arranged and I've done it that way. He is think, willing. I think we're turning the podcast into the wrong topic now. <laughs> go, on, go on, Liz. Have the last say on that topic. Oh, no, I was, uh, we were laughing because I was asking my husband and daughter about this morning as we were getting ready and and my husband is in IT and he's usually had female bosses his whole life. And he said, I've never really been afraid to ask for flexibility. And he said, I don't know if it's because I've needed to because your job, you know, we've had to balance each other out a bit. And he said, but, you know, women especially have never had an issue with it. They totally get it. And, you know, so he, that industry is probably a bit ahead in terms of flexibility, I think IT maybe. Um, but then he also said that he's found having female managers really helpful when something does come up that he needs some some kind of empathy and some support around and that that really strengthens their relationship because there's a bond there where everybody kind of realizes yeah we all have the same challenges we all have a home life and you know we don't have to hide that I actually um as I think it stems a lot from from this nature and nurture and the history and all the way going back of what women and men's roles were in in history I know that as I was growing up 
I always, I've always thought, oh my God, my dad was so encouraging. He always, you know, if I said I want to be a hairdresser, he said, no, I own the salon. If I want to be a nurse, he said, no, be a doctor. But despite that, there was still this weird undertone. He used to say, you know, you're really pretty. So, you know, that's even better. It's, it's going to do you much more of a favour because if you're pretty and hardworking as a woman, you'll go far. And at the time I was like, oh, great. Isn't that actually, it feels so wrong to say that out loud now. Like, why would I need to be anything other than just hardworking? But apparently a woman who's hardworking and pretty is really successful. And it's just, I always thought that he was really great. Like, off you go, Beth. Yeah, <laughs> actually, be in, as a woman, you can go further. Why does it, why do we need to distinguish? And something else my mum said when I was, uh, when my baby, she wasn't even one, my baby. I just got my first promotion. Uh, nothing like you guys, but I've got my first promotion. I was like, no, I've, I can't miss out on these things. This work stuff's important. She'd only got blooming chicken pox or something. And mum was like, one day you're going to have to put your child first, not your career. But it's only chicken pox. She's not in hospital. Can you just look after her for one day? And she didn't say can Craig have it or can your husband do it? Because it was me as the mum, I needed to deprioritise work over chicken pox. Um, and so I, I kind of, that leads me on really to the, to the next thing about, we've touched on it probably a lot already, but that impact of being a parent, raising a child and balancing a career and all that comes with it. Have you got any tips on this? I'm happy to go with that one. I think, I think for me, the top tip with that is making your own rules that work for you. So don't spend the whole time feeling, and this, maybe this is coming very much as a mother, guilty about the things you aren't doing or what you're choosing to do. Um, you know, and don't judge yourself on other people's perceptions of what a mother um, should do. So, you know, I, I don't bake the birthday cakes. I don't like to can't bake don't enjoy it not bothered um i have never and would never make a really fancy world book day costume you know thank thank lord for amazon prime in my house <laughs> but i i made a very early decision that i didn't mind those weren't things i wanted to do or were good at doing and i don't beat myself up for not doing them i can't make all the kids matches but i'll always say to myself i'll try and make you know one match per term and i and I did outsource childcare. You know, I did sit, the kids were at nursery. They did have a nanny for a period. They've had an au pair, you know, different solutions that have worked well at different times. But again, um, I decided that was right for what Mark and I wanted for us and the family and for me to work. And that's what, that's what made me, me. But I think a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about what the external view of what they're doing is. And I think that's the biggest thing you could do is just work out what works for you and go with it. Thank you. Thank you. I've used the hands up this time, so don't so. speak over anyone. Um, so in short, my answer to that, it basically not to over plan. I've been a victim of over planning over the years and just to take each day as it comes. So when my children were young, I used to plan out everything months in advance. I'd worry about things what, which might happen. And if they did, it actually wouldn't have been the end of the world, but I would worry about it and worry about what impact would that be if I wasn't there for my child or if I wasn't able to make an important meeting. An example of this was when I was interviewed for my head of customer care role at Unum seven years ago um, in Basingstoke. And when I was asked if I had any other questions at the end of the interview, I didn't have any other questions, but I just needed to highlight that one of my two children hadn't yet had chicken pox. And if that was to happen, I'd 
have to take some time off work. Claire's laughing. I can see her on screen. I'm so embarrassed that I said that at the end of an interview. Um, my son still hasn't had chicken pox. So Liz, that's still a potential just to Not give you the heads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but my advice would be just focus on what you can control. Be organized, do your best every day, but just some days aren't going to go to plan. And that's absolutely OK. Don't give yourself a hard time. I think that's very solid advice. I'm writing it down as we go and I'll give it all um, at the end. So yeah, we've actually, yeah, right. go on. I just, can I say one more thing? Because I actually, mine was broadly Claire's, you know, create a model that works for your own family. Don't try and do what other people and, and pick the things that really matter and make them special and stop dwelling on the stuff that you can't do. Um, but the biggest thing for me, and I made this commitment when, um, it, before, long before my daughter could even talk or understand me, is the way I talk about work. And it's been really interesting in the pandemic because for two years, she has seen a lot more of my work than ever she would have been able to because I'm at home and she was at home part of that time homeschooling and when she comes home from school often I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working and she can hear it. And I never ever said to her when she was little, I have to go to work. And I know that that sounds like a luxury and I did have to go to work. Um, and there's many people in a much worse situation where they literally have no choice but to go into that job every single day and make that make that choice. But for me, I thought it was important that she didn't feel like she was taking second place, that it was my choice to work. And so I would say I get to go to work. I get to go to work today and you get to go to school today. And that's the language I, I try to use. And if I am going to the office on a Saturday, she says, can I come, can I come, can I? You know, she just loves the idea of an office and work because it sounds exciting and fun to her. And there's days where it isn't that and you try and be realistic about that. But you also, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I try to maintain a really positive relationship about work at home so that it doesn't look like to her, it's something I don't want to do, then why are you doing it? Um, you know, and there is the necessity aspect of it but i do think that language is important and the attitude we take is important because we are teaching children about have to do like to do get to do yeah. um and and i think that matters seeing it as an opportunity i'd like that idea and i like the fact that um yes the homeschooling piece my little girl was like you really help people mommy i really like that and it's lovely to sort of have that kind of pride from your child really isn't it it's a nice feeling and it's inspirational oh you you help people and those are all the people that work for you and they, like I said hello on the screen that's a really nice thing isn't it I'm conscious of time now but I did just have uh, one more kind of question um and it's to do with the research that was by Samsung which was in HR magazine it was last May and it said that only 19% of UK employees think there is gender equality in the workplace which really surprised me um for loads of different reasons the initiatives you know like you got years ago seven years ago eight years ago quite even more I'm rubbish at maths 10 years ago was the Gender Equality Act, Women in Finance Charter, the gender pay gap being published. You know, there's all these different campaigns that are out there. International Women's Day, just as an example. You guys um, are experienced senior managers. This isn't an age thing. This is just an experience thing. And you've worked through all of these different initiatives and, you know, flying the flag for, for women in work. And I'm just curious to know if you think any of these, you know, kind of the before and after, have they actually had an impact on the ground? Is it leading to an authentic change? Um, 
you know, as a result of that, can you be your authentic self at work? Um, or are you still kind of conscious of being a woman at work? I think I'm just going to direct that at Liz uh, specifically um, before we move on to conclude. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have seen things change and there have been a lot of, um, like you say, you know, initiatives and um, government support and visibility and talking about things that have, have made a big difference. I think where the the difference is yet to really be felt is in those entry level roles and in the roles where, um, you know, unfortunately, there's less flexibility, there's uh, less financial freedom to be able to do the kinds of things that Claire and Paula and I can do in terms of childcare and outsourcing some of the day to day stuff. And to me, that isn't as much about employers, though I think we still have a, a, a ways to go there. That again is about some of these external barriers around women continuing to take on the bulk of not just child care, elder care, um, you know, running a household, whether there's children in that household or not, in some of those um, biases that just exist in the world. And I guess as a leader, I can consistently ask myself, what am I doing to try and remove those barriers for people? Because I can't change their home situation, but I can modify their work situation so that they feel um, that kind of psychological safety to be able to talk about that, but also the support and flexibility to be able to have a life that does not uh, mean they have to choose one or the other. And those are really simple things for us to do, particularly in a flexible environment. Not with every role, I understand, but, you know, supporting people and, and understanding and treating them as an individual and being empathetic to what they're going through and giving them that support when they need it. Because it's terrifying when you're sat at your desk or in a meeting thinking, I can't raise a hand and say I need to go because I have to pick my child up from school or because I have to take a parent to a doctor's appointment because I've never seen a man do that before. And, you know, it's you've got to create that safety for people and that empathy and that space for people to have a life outside of work, because to me, that is the quickest way that we can impact things in work. Um, is by recognizing that. So I think that that's where we've got a ways to go. And that's down to individuals. We can action that immediately. Every person can do that today and be better at that today. Um, and to me, I'm, you know, that's, again, something I'm really passionate about. Business policies as well. Go on then, Claire. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to add something which isn't directly related to what you were talking about. But we talked a lot about our top tips. I mean, I think we all ended up, we all brought it back to sort of family mm. and, and children in particular. But I wanted to give one other tip, which I think is, I think as any woman in the, in the workplace, and Paula mentioned it early on in the imposter syndrome feeling. I think one of my top tips would be take chances and risks in your career and back yourself. So that's irrelevant of whether you've got family, children, whatever your situation would be. But as you're in your career and you're growing and you're thinking about opportunities, it's the age old push yourself forward, push yourself into situations that might feel a little bit uncomfortable because you guarantee that once you get there, you will be absolutely fine and you'll do it and it won't hold you. Know, you won't be holding yourself back. So that would be my other top tip that's sort of irrelevant to, you know. Oh, it's not irrelevant. It's, I wanted to get just the final bit really was, you know, we're promoting equality. This doesn't have to be aimed at women. Are there any other pieces of advice for there can be women specific or just generally about, you know, getting getting on in, in your career? Go on, Paula. Um, so I was just going to say, focus on the positives. When you're having a tough day or it's not gone to plan, don't be too hard on yourself. You've got an opportunity the following day to be even better. <laughs> um, yeah, so just really 
male, female, it, it really doesn't matter. The important thing there is to be really, really open and honest with your line manager, have a really open and honest conversation if you're struggling, but also in terms of what your ambitions are and where you want to get to, because they might be able to help you with that as well. But maybe not to the extent of flagging something like I did in an interview that might never happen. We've all learned from that. <laughs> Any other top tips? I'll just summarise the bits that we've got because I just think that they're fantastic. We've got focus on the positives. We've got take chances and risks and back yourselves. We've got not taking too much um, on with regards to societal norms. You know, they're ingrained in us, but just trying to not have them influence what we're doing. Don't dwell on the stuff you can't do. Make your own rules. So don't look at other people's perceptions of what's expected. It's the same as the societal norms, but don't feel guilty about the way you're choosing to live your career and support your family and children. Don't over plan because just do, you know, you don't need to control everything. Just do what, what you can. Don't don't plan for the chicken pox that haven't happened. Um, and think about the language that you use. So things need to be more positive. You're not having to go to work. Going to work is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity that we want our children to have. And, and us going to work is a positive for them and for us. Is there anything else that you would like to add to that brilliant list of sort of successful pieces of advice? Don't I be afraid never, to be. God, don't on. be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable at work if you need to be. I like that. I ne I've never heard you look quiet, so it's good that somebody <laughs> spoke. <laughs> and I said, and building on Claire's original one, if you think you're 60, 70 percent of the way there, go for it and you will learn the rest. I think particularly as women, but this applies to everybody. Some of us think we need to be 100 percent, 110 percent ready for the next. You know, I remember times of getting offered a promotion and saying, I can barely hold it together where I am right now. And actually, the dirty little secret is it gets easier the higher you go often because it's, you know, if it plays to your skill set, you know, you, because you're you've. You're losing some of the technical knowledge. You're playing on some things that you've learned more broadly through your career. Don't be afraid to take that chance if you don't feel you're 100% ready. Because by the time you're 100% ready, somebody else will have snatched it away from you. Because there, I don't know a man who looks at a job description and says, I can't do 40% of that. They look at it and say, that's mine. I can do 60% mm. of that. I'm there. And women often look at that very differently and think they focus on that gap between them and being perfect at it. But you got time to get perfect in that next job. You don't have to, if you arrived, you know, perfect already, ready-made in, in that role, there's no growth. I mean, here's an example. I hadn't worked in a risk team before I came to CRO. Yeah, I became an HR director and I'd never worked exactly. in HR. Exactly. Go You've for got it. it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is absolutely brilliant. Um, I would just say, is, uh, from a well-being perspective, is all of these things put lots of expectations on you and you need to remember the, the things that you need to nourish yourself as well. Giving to work, giving to family, giving to life. If you don't give yourself the opportunity, that break to, to also do nice things for yourself, then it can become quite exhausting. Um, which leads me into saying, please join us next time for our next podcast, which will be on burnout and fatigue and exhaustion. That hasn't been a planned plug or link, but it makes sense. If we don't look after ourselves, that could be where we're heading. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Claire, Paula and Liz for your insights. To me, it's just been fantastic. And we've explored some really good topics. We've got our top tips. So join us for our next podcast. Thank you very much.